0: Hi, this is Mark Scarborough, and this is the podcast, Walking with Dante. And in this episode, I don't want to do anything in comedy instead this is one of those interpolated episodes occasionally in this podcast about issues in the comedy and this episode is about limbo or limbo land as i like to call it what is limbo and how did it get here and how did it theologically get here so join me on this episode of the podcast and find out a little bit more about the tradition of limbo and what dante does to it that makes dante's limbo so not catholic limbo Okay, let's just start out by defining limbo. The word limbo comes from the Latin limbus, which means hem or border. It's a, it's a border, the hem of a skirt, let's say, or a border of something. It's the edge between things. In traditional Roman Catholic theology, limbo is an Intermediary state It's a, well, to use the fancy Thomistic word, it's a tertium quid But it, it's it's this kind of weird Third thing that is neither one Nor the other It's the place for those who died without the sacrament Of baptism, and it's for those who Did not have an opportunity to hear The church's message after The crucifixion and resurrection of Christ Let me just say again, let me go Back to my own interpretive framework I love the notion that we all, me too, all of us put fences down in the world and are constantly having to accommodate them. If you live in America right now, if you live in the United States, you are constantly having to put your fences down and say the whole world is Republicans and Democrats, right? And then (laughs) someone else walks by and you have to figure out what to do with them because you're Pasture is full of Republicans and Democrats, or liberals and conservatives, or you might you might have different ways your pastures work, and we all constantly have to accommodate. For example, let me go to my cookbook career for a second, and the thing that I do that pays the mortgage, writing cookbooks. There are all kinds of snotty-nosed people who get all up in the air about certain recipes. For example, there is only one way to make beef bourguignon. You know the the great French beef stew. Just shut up about any. Other way. And so you get your pasture done, right? There's my pasture, and this is what boeuf bourguignon is, and everybody's standing out there is not making it. And then all of a sudden you find out that some great chef, I don't know, Paul Bocuse or some giant, wonderful chef makes a completely different version of boeuf bourguignon. And now you have a problem. What do you do? Do you say, well, he's not really making one? Or do you say, well, his is a modern interpretation, and mine is the traditional? I mean, but you have to make an accommodation. You have to figure out how to make that fit in some way. And we all do this constantly. Sometimes it's meaningless, just like that. And so you have to change your definition of a beef stew. Okay. You had to do that. Good for you. We all make constant accommodations. Sometimes they jam right up against us. Let me give you an example. When I was in graduate school, when I was in my PhD program, my best friend was a feminist of extraordinarily strident type, uh, a leftist, a proto-Marxist, not quite a Marxist, but a proto-Marxist, leftist, feminist. She was my best friend. And guess what? Here's the thing. She was pro-life, not pro-choice. She thought abortion should be illegal as a feminist. And she had explanations for this. Her explanations were all about that the core of leftist thought is extending the bounds of the caring community and that which society counts inside of its caring complex always have to be pushed out. And so that we push it out to include the unborn just seems like a logical extension. Okay, great. And I'm not going to argue whether she was right about that or wrong. It doesn't matter. What it did to me is it forced me into a constant set of accommodations. How can you be a feminist and be pro-life? How can you be a feminist and against abortion. How is that possible? And it constantly rubbed at my notion because I had fenced off my world. I've got my world sleep in a pasture now quit it don't don't mess with my boundaries because you're going to constantly make me do accommodations and some accommodations are easy like well maybe not easy if you're a very austere american cookbook writer and you think just you know how to write french food okay maybe if you're julie child you would be freaked out at anyone else's bourguignon but in the end for most of us that's an easy accommodation other things are harder and they get harder and harder from there i can tell you as a gay man i force a lot of accommodations onto people I have in the course of my life because of how they've already fenced off their world. They've decided the world exists in a certain way, and then here I come, and I don't fit the fence. So, this is my thing about limbo. This is part of fencing the world, and now you're going to have to figure it out. So, let me go back. I've told you what basically the traditional explanation for limbo is. And let me tell you, in Dante's day, there were thought to be two sorts of limbos. There were <laughs> two sorts. There's the limbo of the fathers, and that is the limbo where All those Old Testament or Torah people went. They couldn't go to hell, but Christ hasn't yet died on the cross. And if Christ dying on the cross and rising from the dead is the only way to salvation, what do you do with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Rachel and Leah and Moses? And where do you put them? They They couldn't know anything about Christ. Where do you put them? This notion of limbo of the fathers, which is a kind of waiting station, a kind of place where they just are hanging out, waiting for Christ to die on the cross so that he will come and harrow them, bring them up to heaven with him in the harrowing of hell. We'll get more into that in the next episode of the podcast, Working with Dante, when we return to the poem and we see a reference to the harrowing of hell. But right now, let's just say it's a waiting room. And Aquinas actually puts it, St. Thomas Aquinas puts it between purgatory and hell. So there's pur- they're, they're all in the ground for for. Aquinas, they're all underground. But purgatory is kind of the upper cave, and limbo is a middle cave, and hell is a bottom cave. And so they're kind of structured this way in traditional Thomistic theology. And the limbo of the fathers is this waiting room for all these people from Torah who don't yet have a place to go because Christ hasn't yet opened the doors of salvation. And we should know that since Christ has now opened the doors of salvation in Dante's day in his theology, then the limbo of the fathers would be empty because they've all been brought up to heaven. So now this this place where they were hanging out, this way, this airport waiting room is now empty. Okay, That's one form of limbo. The other form is the limbo of the children. And that's for those who died without baptism. In Dante's day, almost all baptisms happened on Easter Sunday. And while now in Catholic and more mainline Protestant churches, even baptism happens with infants, it didn't always happen that way in Dante's day. And there was a lot of adult baptism in Dante's day, a lot. And almost all baptisms were held for Easter Sunday. And they happened in a kind of unbelievable giant lineup of people to get to the baptismal fonts and you know sometimes let's say your kid's born in August and your kid doesn't survive until Easter when your cathedral or your church is going to do its next baptism what happens now I have this little kid I have this six-month-old baby that of course tons of babies died uh, at a very young age in the middle ages without modern medicine What happens to these kids? And there's a straining for this call for compassion. Surely you're not going to put babies in hell, are you? There are various ways this is worked out. In the Eastern Orthodox Church, before and even after the great schism of 1054, so in the church, the Orthodox churches out of Constantinople, and in that direction, there's a longstanding tradition of limbo as a place, and mostly it's this place where Christ descends from the cross and wages war against Satan in hell for the souls of the Old Testament Israelites, for the souls of all the Jews, and then pulls them out of there and pulls them up to heaven with him. That's The Eastern Church has always kind of had this place of limbo as this place that they wanted to have this battle sequence. It's more of a location than a theology. The Western Church made brief mention of this place until St. Augustine. And St. Augustine is the one who really concluded that there would be two regions of hell. This is the first time in the Western Church with Augustine that we really start to get a geography of hell. This is important. And Augustine's concern is constantly with those Old Testament figures. Augustine is living during the Pelagian heresy. Pelagius denies the notion of original sin from Adam Augustine counters him and even claims that original sin is such a predominant part of who we are that babies who die in a state of original sin are condemned to the fires of hell. So while Augustine has two pieces of hell, he's got this place where all the people from the Old Testament are hanging out, waiting for Christ to come down and get them, and then he's got everybody else, Augustine himself seems to have no compunction about putting babies in the fire. It just is what it is. But this is what's crucial. He's starting to make a geography of hell of different locations. In the New Testament, when hell is mentioned, Gehenna, Or when the lake of fire is mentioned in the apocalypse of St. John or the book that the Protestants call Revelations, it's just a lake of fire or Gehenna. It's just a, basically it's the burning garbage dump outside of Jerusalem that Jesus points to. And it's this place that, let's say there's not a whole lot of architecture to it. It's just a lake of fire or it's just a burning garbage dump. Augustine is starting to give it structure, not just a big lake where you're tossed into it. Let me just remind you that I don't hold to any of this. This is not my beliefs. This instead is the imaginative pasture, or oh gosh, that's sorry, that maybe that went too far. The theological pasture that Dante is working inside of. Okay, so Augustine's content with putting babies down in hell because everybody's got original sin and everybody's tainted from the very beginning, and too bad. The scholastics, the great medieval theologians, begin to waffle on this. And St. Thomas Aquinas, the great doctor of the church, is the one who really waffles the most. And Aquinas starts to propose a four-part division of hell— Two of which are those two parts of limbo, the limbo of the fathers and the limbo of the babies, and then two other parts of hell itself. And for Aquinas, as I've I've just explained to you, the limbo of the fathers is now empty because those people have been sucked up to heaven by Christ who swoops down off the cross and gets them and takes them all up. So Rachel and Leah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and King David and all of them go zoop up to the top. What do you do with those babies? And Aquinas is a little uncomfortable. And Aquinas goes so far as to claim that the babies in limbo are happy. Remember the passage from last time in comedy. There, the babies are sighing. So Dante is pulling away from Aquinas. Aquinas has equivocated so far that what he claims is that when babies die, they can't be condemned to hell, but they go to this limbo this limbo state where they're actually happy. You know, they're, 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 God, does not seem mean to have babies burning up in fire? So they're actually happy, but the problem is they have not received the beatific vision. Well, let me explain this for a second the beatific vision is that moment when a redeemed soul looks at god and is solidified in the soul's goodness you have now seen god straight on with your own eyes and now you are solidified in goodness you 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 are just caught in that beatific vision, and you can't sin anymore. And what Aquinas claimed is that babies are okay, they're happy, they're floating around, they're giggling, they're cooing, they're doing what babies do, but they just haven't gotten the beatific vision, so they're not solidified in their goodness. If you think about this very much, it will give you problems, because does that mean the babies sitting in limbo floating around can still make choices that lead to evil? See what happens when you fence your pasture in? You've got to start making accommodations all over the place. St. Bonaventura disagreed with Aquinas, and he claimed that the babies were in a state of longing or unrest. Bonaventura said, look, Aquinas, you can't have it that these babies are happy and floating around happy, and they just so happen to not have had the beatific vision. If they haven't had the beatific vision, according to Bonaventura, then they're going to be in a state of, Dante would say, desire, Bonaventura longing or kind of an eternal unrest, because they haven't been fulfilled. Nothing has nothing has taken place to fulfill them in their human destiny anyway, at any way yet. This may seem all like way too much to say, and it may seem like we're just dancing round and round and round, but this, again, this is my thing. I love this. I love when you decide that this is how reality exists, and now you have to make reality fit it. You have to figure out how does it work? Well, okay, so I'm I'm, I'm going at life, to, to, to use fancy words, I'm going at life deductively. I'm looking at it from a set of propositions, and instead of trying to amass what I think from all the details, I'm coming at the details with already implications propositions. And now I got to make those details fit. They got to fit somehow. And this is the whole problem of limbo. Let's go on to the next point. What does Dante do to limbo? And this is crucial. He does five things that are outside of what I'm telling you. First, he puts limbo in hell. It is the first circle. There is no question about it. In fact, what traditional Thomistic St. Thomas Aquinas Thomistic limbo is seems to be in Dante's comedy are the neutrals. They're sitting up there on that portal of hell or that bit of hell before you get to Acarante and Karen and the boat across the river and all that stuff. That seems to be some kind of reinterpretation of what limbo is for the neutrals. And that's because Dante's fenced a different pasture. Dante has fenced a pasture in which the will, your choices decide your ultimate fate. Since your will determines your ultimate fate, then you have to say, okay, you know, there are people who choose good. There are people who choose evil. And what about those people who don't choose? What about if, if the world is set up on choice? Okay, you can choose positive. You can choose negative, And what about the person who just steps back and goes, no, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to choose any of it. What about that person? See, once you have set up the world as a reward system based on choice, you've got to figure out what to do with those who don't make a choice. Dante seems to have put them in this place where they're chased around by the wasps and all that stuff and the banners going and all that bit. Great. Which means he has put Limbo squarely in hell. Aquinas doesn't do this. St. Augustine, mm, a little bit more. He's, In other words, Dante seems to be going back to an Augustinian notion of hell. That limbo is a part of it. It's not a separate tertium quid uh, waiting area. Two, Dante appears uninterested in the fate of the babies. Last time we said, uh, we got to that passage, that one line where he says, I heard all the sighs from the babies, men and women, right? And they were all floating around and there wasn't, wasn't wailing. There was just sighing of babies, women and men. That's the only time the limbo of the babies will ever be mentioned. We passed it. I didn't remark on it because I didn't want to get to it yet, but we get one line in Canto 4. And the souls of the dead babies are not mentioned again until much later in the poem. And then we'll come back to this whole question much later in the poem when the terms of the game may have changed at that point. But Here we just get one line about it And Dante seems uninterested in them And he seems a little bit cold hearted Because these babies floating around Sighing all the time So Dante gives the adults This is the third point Dante gives the adults in limbo The same longing loss of hope That Bonaventura gave babies Remember Bonaventura said Aquinas you're off here Those babies are not happy floating around in limbo They haven't had the beatific vision And nobody can be happy finally without the beatific vision and so they've got to be in longing and rest. And you'll note that Dante is giving men and women, we saw men and women, and in the next episode, we're going to see specific men and women, and we already know one of them, Virgil. So Dante is giving adults, men and women, the same longing loss of hope that Bonaventura had given to babies, thereby getting close to a redefinition of what limbo is. And the fourth thing, and I went on about this endlessly, Dante gets very close to this very Pelagian heresy. Virgil says, we're here because of nothing, (laughs) because of no sin. We don't, we're here not because of that, just because we missed out on baptism and we missed out on worshiping God correctly. That's, whoa, Augustine would sit up in his chair over that, let me tell you. Aquinas would sit up in his chair over that. We should sit up in our chair because Dante is clearly defining sin Evil as choice. And the church's position is that evil is both endemic and extrinsic. That is, it's both a part of who you are and it's also the choices that you make. And Dante seems to be pulling back, and he's going to constantly seem to be pulling back from this notion that evil is a part of who you are. Wait until we get up into Purgatorio and we discover how the soul is created. And you will really see that he has pulled far away from this notion of original sin and gotten very close to heretical teaching and he's gonna get even closer to heresy and this is my fifth point in the next episode we're gonna have to i'm gonna have to hold this But let me just say that Dante is playing fast and loose with limbo. He is reinterpreting it to his own notion of what his poem needs and his own imaginative pasture. And so he is taking this Christian doctrine and pulling it out and putting it into comedy in very specific ways and for very specific reasons. And not all of them are great reasons, not speaking of heresies, but as we will see next time. Limbo is the place, well, (laughs) limbo is the place where you put your poetic fathers. And you'll note that limbo is in hell. So basically, you take your poetic fathers, the great heroes of your art form, and in order to be the poet that Dante wants to be... (laughs) I can feel Harold Bloom looking at me in order to be the poet that Dante wants to be. He's got to put his poetic fathers in hell. And this is not an intermediary state. We are told again and again, this is the first rung of hell. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I hope you enjoyed that I just had to go off on Limbo for a bit and tell you how we got here and how Dante is changing the terms of the game. Because I think it's really important to understanding the scope of the comedy and the work of the comedy and how the comedy is taking what Dante knows and changing it fundamentally to fit his art. And that's what's so amazing to me. Dante is moving the goalposts, <laughs> he's not only moving the church's goalposts, he's moving his own goalposts. And in doing all of that, he is freeing his art to come to this place that is unbelievable in what it can encompass and what it can take in. We're not there yet. We're getting there. And We'll get there closer in the next episode of Walking with Dante. So come back, join in, join me. The next episode will be up soon. And in the meantime, I could really use a rating. I could really use a good rating from you and even a comment in the podcast positions because that really helps me in the analytics. That'd be terrific. Thanks for doing that. And subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode of my banging on about limbo and St. Thomas Aquinas and everything else on the podcast, Walking with Dante.